Well, good morning and welcome again to St. Paul's, especially if you're visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Tyler. Glad that you're joining us for worship. As I begin, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, will you drown this place now with your spirit, that by that spirit we might see your son, Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. So we've come to the end of the story, or at least this part of our story. In our sermon series since September, The Mission of Jesus, we've been preaching through the early stages of Jesus' ministry. How he quickly went from being an anonymous nobody, the son of a carpenter from some backwater burg, to the talk of the nation. Someone that crowds came from far and wide to see and hear and touch. Everyone wanted what Jesus had to offer, you see, because Jesus offered healing from illness, liberation from evil spirits, and he taught with authority. He said the reason that he'd been sent, sent by God in heaven, what a claim, was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news that the world was wrong, but that Jesus was coming to set things right. And as he taught, he started distinguishing his disciples, his students, from the crowds of people who just wanted his mojo, because he was here to open up an entirely new way of life. You don't make an omelet without breaking eggs, and this new teaching of Jesus landed wrong with the religious establishment, because he wasn't just saying something about God, he was claiming God's own prerogative to act, to heal. And that's blasphemy for a person to claim what is God's unless that person actually is God in the flesh. Could Jesus really be that? What would that mean? And that's the question we end with today. Who is Jesus? That's the question at stake in the second part of the gospel reading that we just heard that Anne-Marie read for us. Our story today had two parts, if you noticed. The first part has Jesus bringing a dead man back to life. And the second part has the news of the event spreading and John the Baptist hearing about it. Now, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He was there at the start of Jesus' public life. He'd been running this Riverside Tent Revival ministry, and he had baptized Jesus. He'd seen the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus. He'd heard the voice of God the Father say, this is my son. And when John gets locked up for criticizing the king in an unrelated incident, that's when Jesus goes public. So John's about as tight with Jesus as tight can be, but now he hears about Jesus raising the dead, and he sends some of his followers to ask, are you really the Savior that we've been waiting for? The implication being, because if you are, maybe you'd bust me out of jail. I saw the Holy Spirit, I heard the voice of God, but I'm locked up here. So who are you really, Jesus? And maybe you felt let down by God at some point in your life. So you feel where John's coming from. Are you who I thought you were, hoped you were, needed you to be? Who are you, Jesus? At the start of today's reading, Jesus has arrived at a village called Nain. And as he's coming to the gates of the town, he meets a funeral procession on its way out, carrying the body of a young man, the only son of his mother. 
She's a widow. There's no social safety net here. So leaving aside the personal loss, this, the death of her son means that she's totally defenseless, impoverished, and alone. And when Jesus sees her, Scripture says he felt her sadness like a gut punch. Who is Jesus? He's a young man stopped in his tracks with compassion for a grieving old woman. So he goes up to her and he says, don't cry because he's about to do something. And then he touches the stretcher they're carrying the guy on and the pallbearers stop. And can we just pause to notice how really awkward this would be? Because the bearers are carrying a dead body for burial, there's no reason for them to stop. Like what possible, what are they going to do? Like what possible reason can you have for stopping a funeral procession? If you're going to stop a funeral procession, you better be ready to bring the dead back to life. Who's Jesus? He's a guy who interrupts funerals. And Jesus says, he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead guy stops being dead. And he sits up and starts talking. And then Jesus says, and then scripture says Jesus gave him to his mother. Like Jesus helps him down from the stretcher and takes him to his mom. And if you've ever lost someone, someone you would give the world to hold one more time. Well, when this young man did come back to his mom, you can imagine their hug. Like top ten hugs of all time. Listen. This either happened like Luke said it did, or it didn't. Let's not get cute like, oh, they thought he was dead, but he wasn't really, and Jesus somehow brought him back. No, either the story's a scam, or Jesus told the dead guy to get up, and the guy did it. Those are options. And I'm telling you, it's the real deal. It did happen, and I'll tell you how I know, because I've met the God that these words describe, and I know a lot of you have too. But if it happened, and it did happen, I have a question. How did the dead guy hear Jesus telling him to get up? I know that might sound silly, like I'm majoring in the minors, like Jesus is raising a guy from the dead and I'm focusing on the mechanics. Yes, I am. Because it tells us something important about this question. Who is Jesus? Bear with me. Jesus gave an order to a dead guy and the dead guy obeyed it. And I want to know how the dead man heard Jesus in the first place. Let's think about what's happening in this story. I'm talking to you right now, and you're hearing me. And the way that works is my mind is sending electrical signals to my lungs and my vocal cords and my mouth, and it turns my thoughts into sound waves, which is bananas, but let's keep going. And the sounds come out of my mouth, and the sound waves go out, and they're hitting each of you right now in your eardrums, like little sound pebbles that I'm throwing against the window pane of your brain, like plink, plink, plink. And your eardrum transmits the vibrations of, your, into, of the sound wave through the tiny bones of your ear into your cochlea, where even tinier hairs transform the vibrations into electrical signals that go into your brain, and your brain registers them as sounds, and now you know the meaning that started as a spark in my brain. That's amazing. That's how it happens, right? My last science class was 11th grade chemistry. This is not my forte, but something basically like that. But the point is this. When Jesus talked to the dead man, he had a thought, and it was sit up. And it came, became sound from his vocal cords and went out through his mouth. 
and it bounced off the dead guy's eardrums, and those dead eardrums transmitted the vibrations into the dead cochlea, where the tiny hairs did absolutely nothing because the man was dead. His ears were dead, his brain was dead, the man was dead. So how did he hear Jesus? Maybe you're not bothered by this detail like I am. Maybe you think I'm missing the point. But I don't think I'm missing the point because what we see in this story is that even the dead obey Jesus. Who is Jesus? Even the dead are under his authority. And that's why this miracle is so fascinating. Because, of course, the dead body didn't hear the sounds coming out of Jesus' mouth. Dead was all it was until Jesus brought it back to life. A body without the spirit is just so much meat. This guy was gone. If the Roman emperor had stood at the gates of Nain and said to the dead man, I will give you my throne if you sit up, nothing would have happened. But the dead man submits to Jesus' word. He's found out by it, out in the quantum darkness or light or wherever he is. So this is a miracle about obeying what Jesus says, but there's no way that the guy could have heard Jesus saying anything in the first place. What's that tell us? It tells us that Jesus' words weren't simply a message to be listened to like this one. It means that Jesus' words, Jesus' words, created the reality they described. They created the reality they described. The dead man couldn't hear Jesus' voice, but that fact didn't put him beyond the reach of Jesus' words. Young man, get up! Soul, be bound to this body again and arise. Do this. And the authority of that word was such that even a dead man responded. Jesus' command evidently creates the possibility of obedience. So if Jesus tells you to walk through a wall, his word makes a door. The words that come out of Jesus' mouth change what is. It doesn't matter that the dead man, the young man, can't hear. He obeys anyway. His soul rejoined to body, his lungs quickened back to life, sucking in air. He spasms up, he begins to speak. This is my point. The dead man can't hear Jesus, but reality hears Jesus. Existence itself is listening to its master's voice. What's happening here? is that Jesus is the word of God. He is the visible and audible manifestation of the silent and invisible Father in heaven, who is the author of life. And so when Jesus says, arise, what's actually happening is this, that the God who made that young man and his mother and father and their mothers and fathers before them, the God who formed that young man in his mother's womb before she even knew she was pregnant, the God who brought that child into existence, the God who gave that child sun and water that fed the plants and the animals that would feed the child as he grew, the God who saw every impulse of that man's brain as he grew into a man, every ear tug, every nose scratch, the God who was with that man when his body stopped and he died. The God who received back that last breath that was the loan of the spirit of life that he'd been given at the start of his life. The God who received that man's soul in death. When Jesus says arise, what is actually happening is that God who in life and death has been more intimate to that man than he was to himself, that God brings life out of death simply by speaking a word. That's what happens when Jesus talks. For the man, for his mother, for the funeral procession, 
It's the difference between night and day, dark and light, death and life. He's gone, now he's back. And Jesus' words made it happen. But he was never gone to God. And he was never gone to Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the guy who tells reality what to do. He's God in the flesh. He is the Lord. Believe that. People respond, as you'd imagine they would, in fear. It's a nice biblical detail. That's exactly how you'd feel if a dead guy sat up in his coffin. I expect there were lots of swears that Luke didn't record. People probably pass right out. And they glorify God and say, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And that's what gets reported to John the Baptist, like I said at the beginning. God's visited his people. And when John sends his followers with the question, are you the one we've been waiting for? Jesus sends word back, tell John what you've seen. Healings, resurrection, I am the one. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. In other words, I'm the real deal. But I might not always be what you expect. You along for the ride? We're about to see a group of people who are publicly taking no offense at Jesus. The opposite, in fact, publicly declaring for themselves and for their children that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is their Lord and Savior. Our sermon series started right after Jesus has been baptized himself. That's what kicked this whole thing off, started him on his mission. And when we decide to follow him, to be his disciples, we follow in his footsteps. We do what he did. We follow him into the waters of baptism, just like he told us to do. Because he's promised that when we do, God will visit his people at the water. What's about to happen is not just a symbol. It's not. In the waters of baptism, like in the bread and wine of communion, God visits God's people. Because at the water and at the table, we answer the question, who is Jesus? With the answer, he is the Lord. He is the Son of God. He took on our human nature so we could go where he goes. He calls us as co-workers in his mission. He kicks down the doorway of death into eternal life. He gives us the Holy Spirit to empower and purify us in this life and see us safely into the next. At the water and at the table, Jesus is Lord. If you're already baptized, you remember your own baptism. Maybe you don't because you were a baby. But that's okay because every baptism you see is a replay of your own baptism. So if that's you, watch what's about to happen. Rafi, as you reaffirm your faith, watch what's going to happen. And know that God visited you in the same way, just like that. If you're not baptized yet, then this baptism poses a question to you. Who do you think Jesus is? And if the Spirit speaks to you in the gurgle of the water... If you hear the Spirit's voice in your heart saying, I say to you, arise. Don't sleep on that. Because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to let love grow cold. Find a Christian you trust to pray with you today. Because you're next. And when we have our next baptism service, we'll see you at the water. And if you're getting baptized or your child is... I'd say get ready. But how do you get ready for a visit from God? Anglicans are notoriously reserved about baptism. It's 
probably going to be very quiet in here when it's all happening, though I would encourage spontaneous cheering, but <clears throat> you didn't hear it from me. But I want you to know that heaven will be roaring. And if you look with eyes of faith, as Ben pours the water and says the words, you will see the world go translucent around you. The stone will melt away and the armies of heaven will be ringing this place. Because for a brief moment, this is going to be the geographic center of the universe with a billion, billion fiery angels crying glory to see a child of heaven come home and the Lord visiting his people once again.